Hello and good morning Patriots. On today's episode we are going to evaluate the differences in policies and approaches to certain areas in major Democrat-ran cities against a major Republican-led city. We will look at crime rates and unemployment, taxation and economic growth, and the policies that affect these items. We will see what differences there are, if any, between the two and which one is better for Americans and why. My name is Jonathan Hewitt, and welcome to the Conservative Voice Show. Alright, before we get started, let me know down in the comments what you think a major difference will be between the two. And then at the end of the show, tell me if you are right and wrong, and which one you would rather live in. Also... I'm happy to announce that I will be starting a new series on the show, and I will be talking all about that at the end, so to find out what's in store next, stick around, and we'll go over it. Alright, so when, like, finding the two cities, I tried to keep population sizes kind of in order, however, it so happens that the largest Republican-led city in the nation is comparatively smaller than a large Democrat-ran city. So the two that we're going to go through is we're going to look at Los Angeles, California against the largest Republican-led city, which is Fort Worth, Texas. We're going to split Dallas and Fort Worth because Dallas is actually blue and the Fort Worth area is actually red in Tarrant County. So those are the two cities that we're going to evaluate and dive into. We're going to start with California and as we all know, California has long been a progressive and Democrat-led state in general. So we'll break it down. The population as of 2020 was 3.9 million people. Fun fact, the population of Canada is only 37 million people if you want to know. So about a tenth of the amount of people live in Los Angeles that live in California. The governor is Gavin Newsom. Which should be noted that he is currently in the process of being recalled, but nothing really has come of that yet. But it should be noted that even the people of his own state aren't happy with his governorship. Um, the city council is also um, Democrat and holds the majority there. So now that we kind of know like the state makeup, city makeup, right? Let's dive a little deeper. I chose OA to evaluate specifically as it is up there in numbers, but also because they're that is actually pretty well like outlined and accessible. So I figured that the laws that would be enacted would be fair and equal. Yeah, sure. I don't know what I was thinking. Anyway, so we'll start out with the tax rate. The tax rate in Los Angeles, um, their sales tax is in a 9.5%. Just think about that. That is nearly 10% in sales tax. I don't mean to question anybody's intelligence or make anybody feel stupid, but that means if you're buying $100 you are going to pay $10 in taxes, which just seems ridiculous to me. That's a lot. I'm used to like seven cents on the dollar. Um, not like ridiculous. Anyway, and then the property tax is actually shockingly low, sitting at less than 1% at 0.72%. But that's because in 1968, California passed a law that said that property taxes could not be above 1%. All right. The mayor, Eric Garcetti, is a Democrat and has been in office since 2014. Over that time, 
listen to this, you ready? Over that time, he has enacted 27 executive directives. So you figure seven years, 27, that's almost four executive directives a year, which isn't terrible. But it's still a lot when you figure that nothing, well, nothing's really been done. I, just, I guess I'll let that cat out of the bag. But anyway, so Los Angeles crime rate has soared over the past several years. And we have seen a general just like uptick in crime since 2014. I think it's funny how like after this god-awful mayor was elected with his like progressive policies, that crime has surged. Who would have thought? Who would have thought progressive policies lead to surges in crime? Anyway, so let's get into that. There were 137 homicides. I'm sorry. There were over 300 homicides in Los Angeles in 2020. In 2020 far so in 2021 so far that there's been 171 people. There's been 171 murders in Los Angeles since January 1st, 2020. So we're sitting July, 7 months in, just sitting barely over the halfway mark and at 171. If they continue on that track, right? That is going to put them at over 340 murders that year. That is, should be noted that it's a 24.8%, so almost a 25% increase in murders in between the two years, right? So this time last year, there was 137 homicides in Los Angeles. So you're looking at nearly a quarter percent, I'm sorry, a quarter percent increase in homicides this year alone. Just from May 30th to June 26th, there were 32 murders. That is more than one person murdered a day. If this trend continues, Los Angeles will be looking at an even more staggering number of a 33% increase in murders over the rest of this year. That is absolutely mind-blowing. Just think about that. Just think about how dangerous that is for the people that live there. Luckily, though, I will be honest, Rape is down 25%, so that is awesome. But robberies are up 10% from the last year, a spike in 5% over the last two months, and then aggravated assaults are also up 4.8%, so almost 5% from last year. But on the other side, do you know what is down in Los Angeles? <laughs> arrests. So as crime surges, arrests decline, huh? I guess that's just the way that goes. So who would have thought that when you've been to the will of the radical left and defund your police department, you are going to have a rise in crime. So in 2020, it was proposed by the LAPD, it was proposed that the LAPD would get $1.7 billion in funding, which I know sounds like a lot, but let's evaluate this for a second. LAPD has 9,000 sworn officers and 3,000 unsworn personnel, not to mention things like fuel, like just fuel for the cars, um, uniforms, weapons, and training. It's not that much. It actually comes out to when you divide it about $141 per person for the year. I'm sorry, $141,000, not $141. $141,000 per person for that year. That has to cover everything from training to salaries. So you can figure, let's just say like median there, which we'll get into later is like 68000 is the median. If the cops are just making the median, 68000 of that's gone. So that's going to leave you with just about 75000 or so left. And that has to cover their training for the year. Any overtime that they get. Fuel for their cars. Right? Weapons. Ammunition. Gear. 
So that's not very much, and that goes very, very fast. Well, so even though they only had that much, right, the LA Council cut the police department's budget by over a million dollars. That means officers aren't getting paid for overtime. They had a reduction in wages, and wouldn't you know, a reduction in training. For the people who call for the police to be more funded, and they need to be more, not more funded, to be more trained, well, you can't train people with no money. So there's that one. So, all of you, as you all know, I was a police officer just months ago, and I can attest that there needs to be more more money invested. Not just because I was a cop and I think we need to get paid more or anything like that, but sometimes it's hard to train because of funds, whether it be lethal training, shoot don't shoot scenarios, less than lethal training. All of that takes money in the form of supplies and wages. Then the money it takes to train the instructors who teach the courses to the law enforcement officers. That's a lot of money. And if you want officers to be better trained, well, then you can't defund them. So that is just a quick insight into just the crime surging out of control inside of Los Angeles. The next part we're going to look at is the homeless population, which I guess I can kind of link the crime rate in homeless population kind of just like an umbrella of public safety. The Los Angeles Homeless Association in 2020 released that there was a staggering, absolutely staggering amount of homeless people in Los Angeles. They reported 41,290 people were suffering from homelessness, a 16% rise since 2019. Think about that. That is almost 20% increase in the amount of people that do not have a home. What does that lead to? Well, whether you wanted to admit it or not, Homelessness is also linked to the first statistic we went over, crime. Drug, drug abuse and drug uses, usage is increasing, like, it's very prevalent in the homeless community. Robberies, shoplifting, these are all byproducts of a rampant homeless population. I actually remember listening to the Ben Shapiro show and him talking about outside of his Los Angeles home before he moved that it was not uncommon to find hypodermic needles just sitting on the, on the sidewalk from the drug use from the homeless people that is out of control in Los Angeles. It makes you wonder, like, what has the city done to fix it, right? Like, okay, they have this association that is saying that they have this many homeless people. Well, what are they doing to address it? Well, Mayor Garcetti in May of 2018 created another directive known as the Building a Bridge Directive. The directive, which sounds like a great great idea. Like, when I read it at first, I was like, wow. This is absolutely phenomenal, and I would, thought, I would think would do like great things for it. But as you continue to read it, instead of actually addressing the actual causes of homelessness, like unemployment, or losing of a home, or things like that, it just charges the city with creating temporary emergency homeless shelters, and then ordering the city to find public land to put them on, i.e. like parks, rec centers, and things like that. So... Instead of addressing the issue, what they're going to do is they're going to take these homeless individuals that are suffering from homelessness that also are highly susceptible to drug use and committing property crimes and other things like that. Well, we're just going to put them out in the public to where they can become or have access to the entire public. They started a committee known as the Homeless Strategy like strategy committee in LA 
but you want to know what they did in it? In the meetings from last, in the meeting minutes from the last meeting on May 27th of this of this year, get this shit. Get. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cuss. Sorry. Forgive me. I'm trying to get better and not cuss. But get this shit. All right. It was called to order at 4:02 and adjourned at 4:21. Nothing new was proposed besides a change to the meeting date and time. That is it. So you got a soaring homeless population and the two the directive that was meant to curb it has failed the committee that was made to curb it had a 19 minute long meeting that nothing was proposed not a single member brought anything up or proposed anything to help curb it to stop it how to reduce it nothing and so homelessness like being homeless, the number one reason for that is unemployment. And that brings us to our next statistic. As we all know, Democrat-ran cities shuttered during the pandemic. And for many of them, they still remain pretty much shut down. What did this lead to? Well, I think you guessed it, guys. In March of 2020, LA says there was a drastic increase in unemployment. Almost 269,000 people living in L.A. were unemployed, or 13% of its population. Nearly a quarter of L.A.'s population was unemployed during that month. Similar numbers remained until January of 2021, where it dropped to 159,000, and it stayed there, or about the 10% of the population mark. So, currently, as of the last Labor and... Currently, as the last Bureau of Labor and Statistics data... It has the unemployment at about 8%. Why is this? Well, there's a few reasons. Now, I will be honest and admit that not all of them are the fault of, like, Los Angeles City Council and their mayor. Well, most of it is. But some of it does fall on the Biden administration sticking to the narrative about COVID and continuing the increased welfare and unemployment benefits and continuing to say that we need rounds and rounds of stimulus and just incentivizing people to, in general, stay home and not work. But you know what could have been done? They could have done something. They could have done something that a lot of Republican cities and states have done. And that is stop the state increased unemployment benefits, which LA has not done and neither has the state of California. Further mass mandates and ridiculous obstacles remain in effect for businesses which remain shuttered. So instead of addressing those issues... You want to know what the mayor did? Like, I just don't understand. Like, mayors, you see your city tanking. You see your city going down like the Titanic. And instead of addressing those issues, you create a racial equity directive. Yep. Because, you know, in soaring unemployment, soaring crime rates, soaring homelessness, you know what's going to stop that? A racial equity directive, which orders every department to create a racial equity officer which makes me wonder if that actually is coming out of the city budget or if it's just going to be somebody gets added responsibility it also orders them to create a development racial equity plans and creates a racial equity task force so just to clear the air here I'm okay with the development of the policies that protect civil rights and liberties if there's an actual threat to civil rights and liberties but 
There's just not the data to support that. And I do not believe that that should be that the number one concern of the mayor and the city council. You want to know what there is a statistic to prove? There's statistics that show that the crime is rising, unemployment is booming, and that economic growth is stagnating in Los Angeles. And that ties us to our last thing, where we're going to look at and compare the policies and how those affected that economic growth. So on, I found on the BOS, so the um, Bureau of Labor and Statistics, I found a economic summary for the Los Angeles area, which was updated July 1st of 2021. So Los Angeles City has marked a unemployment rate this month of 10.1%, which is back up from that 8.9%, right? You are also seeing that the PPI, or the prices received by producers, is skyrocketing for freight. General freight trucking is up to almost 24%. You have that for hotels is up to nearly 10%. That for hospitals has remained pretty even, honestly. But the big, big, big thing, right, is in the prices paid by urban consumers. So that's how much the people pay. And it is absolutely ridiculous. So you got an increase in food from 2.2 to 3.4. But then the big one, which is funny, is energy. As they continue to try to move those progressive policies into creating more, in quote, green energy sources, people are paying astronomical, like like incredibly exorbitant amounts in energy. 30.1% change in CPI in May of 2021. So you have increasing inflation, which because PPI, if you don't know, and so PPI and CPI are two metrics that measure inflation. So you, now you couple all those other issues that are confronting Los Angeles, right? Now add inflation onto that. And then you haven't really seen, you've seen pretty much a stagnant, just even keel for your um, employer cost per hour or worked for wages. There hasn't really been much change in salaries for them either. So I think that it's clear to see that there's crime problems, economic problems, unemployment problems, inflation problems. But get this, guys. And I am super, like, I saw this stat and I could not help but laugh. It was, it's absolutely funny. So as the median household income is only $68,000 in Los Angeles, you want to know what L.A. is doing to help that? Well, the L.A. City Council and the mayor gave a thirty-three, I'm sorry, a $335 million tax break to Hollywood. $335 million tax break to one of the biggest industries in the world. And I say in the world because movies go everywhere. Hollywood-made movies go across the globe. It's funny that one of the most woke industries in America is the one receiving one hell of a tax break as they bitch and complain constantly about how big corporations don't have to pay taxes. Like, (laughs) talk about some hypocrisy going on in LA. All right. So now we're going to move on to the Fort Worth area, right? We saw the policies of an extremely blue city and uh, what happens with them. Now we're going to look at the effects of an extremely red city. 
Now, it is worth noting that for Fort Worth, that Fort Worth, like I said, is the largest Republican city by population. It had a population of 927,720 and has seen an increase in population of almost 200,000 people in the last decade. So now I know many of you listeners out there may be wondering if I can accurately compare these two cities given their size comparisons. The budgets and resources are comparative in both of them, right? Obviously, LA will have a higher budget than Fort Worth because, well, there's more people there, right? But everything else will be per capita. All right, so let's get into it. Just like we started with LA, we'll start with Fort Worth. The mayor just elected this year, Maddie Parker. She's a Republican. And then the city council of Fort Worth also remains Republican. Local property taxes are 2.75, which is incredibly high, and you may be asking yourself why. Well, the reason why is because Texas actually does not gather any personal income taxes. So the residents of Texas do not pay an income tax to the state. Therefore, local tax offices set the amount in conjunction with housing appraisals. And so as houses increase, so does that property taxes accordingly. And then the tax rate is 8.25%, the sales tax. So not terrible. Uh, It's a 1.75% decrease in taxes from Los Angeles. I will say it is worth noting that in the short time Parker has been the mayor, it does not appear that she has made any directives. She has made a statement regarding an officer-involved shooting that has been not been set for trial. And I read her directive, or not even her directive, it was a message. And I actually enjoyed it. I will say that I think that she does a very good job. Instead of being incendiary, she states and asserts that the power to set the trial resides in the judge. And she supports the criminal justice system. And at the end, she wants like the justice system to work and play itself out. She did say that she'll be reaching out to the family of the victim to try and get a better understanding of what goals and what could be done to better that outcome for the future. All right, so on to that first area of public safety. When it comes to crime, I was actually pretty surprised. I expected the crime rate to be low, but I did not expect to see the huge decreases in crime across the board in Fort Worth. So for murders and homicides, they remained same from the first quarter of 2021 to the first quarter of 2020. In 2020, there were 24 murders in that time period compared to the 26 in 2021. So a two-event increase. However, it should be noted that one of those was a negligent homicide, which was increasing that number, so it was not on purpose. This is a huge one, guys. Get ready for this, especially since it's on the border. Texas is a border state, and human trafficking is down 26%. 26%. Arson in Fort Worth is down 40%. Burglaries are down 1%. Forgery is down nearly 50%. And all of this led to a decrease in crime overall of 8% for FBI reportable offenses. That is a decrease in both crime against persons and crime against property, which is interesting seeing the rapid increase in population when compared to Los Angeles, who has a declining population growth, but an increasing crime rate. Fort Worth is the exact opposite, has an increasing population growth, but a, a decreasing crime rate. So what can that be attributed to? Well, Fort Worth as a whole did not get on the whole defund the police train. Instead, voters supported the half-cent sales tax that funded more than $85 million for the police. And I can also say that a lot of it, they didn't have massive, huge riots in Fort Worth for the most part, like you did in Los Angeles, which caused probably thousands of extra reports of crime. All right, so let's look at the two budgets that were adopted. 
in 2020, they adopted a $267 million budget for the police. And in 2021, they I adopted a $273 million budget for the police. That increase came actually in form of approximately $5 million increase in salaries for police and personnel and $600,000 increase in general operating funds. The current crime report submitted by Fort Worth Police Department does not offer um, the amount of arrests that were made. However, it is clear that the policing strategy and action working at Fort Worth as crime is decreasing. Obviously, the policies that are being enacted by the city council, the support they're having from their police or behind their police is leading to a decreasing crime. And this is what happens. Honestly, guys, listen to me. If you have friends that believe in defund the police or you have family, whatever it may be, let them know this, that when you invest in law enforcement and not defund them, they're able to do their jobs. People want to come to work. Police are more willing to do what is necessary if they're being paid well and have the support of the city. The police department has also started the initiative hashtag Fort Worth Safe aimed at curbing and continuing the decrease in violent crimes. So we see that there's a decrease in violent crime, right? And all of that. What I bet you can already like guess is that there's going to be a, to be a decrease in that second statistic we covered, right? Homelessness. Just as with LA, coupled with public safety, is that of homelessness. And further, unfortunately, crime is attributed with homelessness, whether it be drug uses, shoplifting, loitering, or so on. So in Fort Worth, what is the amount of homeless people? Well, it is drastically less. As of 2020, there was just over 2,000 people reported homeless. They are reporting a drop in veteran homelessness. But unfortunately, right now, they are in, um, reporting an increase in overall homelessness of 4%. 4%. However, the reason of this is because of the pandemic and the businesses temporarily shutting down, seeing the data is from 2020. And so there were businesses that temporarily shut down for the pandemic. And like I listed earlier, the number one cause of, un of homelessness is unemployment, right? So it's believed that this number will rebound and decrease once businesses reopen and we get a, a more accurate homelessness evaluation come sometime this year, right? Further, Fort Worth City Council has imposed a list of community strategic goals. The first one being building effective and efficient housing system. This has led to a decrease of 16% in chronic homelessness, right? So you have homelessness that occurs because of circumstance, right? Once they're out of that circumstance, and they go get their job banks, they're able to pay for the house and their families, they go back, they leave homelessness. Chronic homelessness is ones where they are continuously homeless no matter what. And this strategic goals that they've implemented has led in a 16% decrease in that. Along with this, they've set four other goals that are integrating and helping homeless people leave homelessness and not returning. They have 35 agencies and 117 programs that help transition the homeless successfully into permanent housing. Tying into homelessness and the general cause is unemployment and we'll now evaluate the state of unemployment in Fort Worth. So while looking at this, I use the same system in the Bureau of Labor and Statistics. However, the BLS did make this a bit more difficult for me because they linked the Dallas-Fort Worth area in its statistic. So just to be transparent, what I'm going to be using is the Tarrant County statistic, which is the county that Fort Worth is in, is in not Dallas. So I'll use that data as it makes up, as Fort Worth does make up the majority of Tarrant County. 
unemployment in Tarrant County and the Fort Worth area is sitting about 5.5% as of May of 2021. So about 3% to remember decrease from Los Angeles. And that's crazy low, especially as the nation recovers from COVID. What is interesting is the link between lower unemployment rates and the fact that Fort Worth did not completely shut down during the pandemic. According to the Fort Worth government website in December of 2020, for the most part, all the businesses remained open with some having to reduce occupancy to 50%, which is still way better than the semi-shuttered in Los Angeles. They also did not have a string of violent riots and protests that have been in Los Angeles that have cost business owners thousands of dollars, which lead to layoffs and people not being able to go to work. The only riot, there was only one huge riot in the Fort Worth area, and it was in June of 2020, where inside Los Angeles there have been numerous violent riots over the last year, one as recently as two days ago over a Trans Rights Act in Koreatown. The revenue growth in Fort Worth area is booming, even post-pandemic, it is growing at a rate of 4.41% and is expected to continue to grow to $31 billion over the next five years. Even in 2020, during the heart of the pandemic, Fort Worth's GDP set at $129 billion, supporting a job number of over a million. Think of that. So as Democratic cities shuttered their, their cities, shut down all businesses, churches, restaurants, you name it, right? Fort Worth, Still had a GDP of over $129 billion and still had over a million people working. Why is this? Well, just like unemployment, this unemployment, this can be attributed to the Republican government not creating policies that hinder businesses and have a realistic approach to COVID. So not only are they supporting that low unemployment rate, but in compared to Los Angeles, the median household average, I'm sorry, the median household income in Fort Worth area is $81,000. $81,000, right? So as we can see, the common differences between the Republican and Democrat-led cities is their approach to those key items like taxes. You have exorbitant tax rates in, inside Los Angeles. You have public safety, which is just lost in Los Angeles. You have unemployment. And homelessness, which is running rampant, decrease in economic growth in Los Angeles. Why? Because of the policies that the government is choosing to enact. Where, on the contrary, you have almost a complete 180 in Fort Worth, and you have a booming economy despite the pandemic. You have almost all-time lows in homelessness. You have low unemployment rates. It's all in the approach in how these Democrats are running their cities. And then Democrats wonder why you're seeing mass exoduses in, Cal in places like California and Washington and New York to places like Texas, Florida, Oklahoma, your major red, red states in the nation. Because in Democrat-led cities, crime is out of control, taxes are increasing, and they are just not doing anything to stop it. It is reasons like this on why conservative approaches, less regulations, and tough on crime actually benefit Americans. Instead of oppressive policies of like government intrusion, which has only led to higher government spending and decreases in things like median income, right? All of that is attributed to the differences, those major differences between Democrat and Republican-led cities. So, with all that being said, 
if you want to do any follow-up research or if you want to fact check me or do whatever you want to do with it, right? I will link all the sources that I used in making today's podcast down in the show notes in case you have any Democrat friends that disagree and you want to be able to show them with facts. All of that will be in the show notes. All right, so make sure you take a look at those if you're interested. All right. Also, if you don't follow me on Facebook or Instagram, I am happy to announce that this show will be hosting Daniel Nowak, the author of the upcoming book, Political Acceptance, A Millennial's Manifesto, where we will talk about hot-button items like gun control and abortion, all the way to healthcare and welfare, and everything in between. We will agree on some things, disagree on some other things, but I think that you guys will, you guys and the, a lot of our younger audience will appreciate the conversation that we have. So that interview is set to air on Monday, July 9th at 6 a.m. It'll be one hell of a way to kick off your Monday if you're on your Monday commute or you're going on your Monday run, whatever you do in your Monday morning so you don't want to miss it. Make sure you set a reminder, subscribe, follow, so you just won't want to miss it, all right? Also, if you enjoyed the show and want to help me continue to inform young conservatives and provide them the ammunition and the knowledge that they need to speak about conservative politics and to educate them, subscribe to the show and and leave me a rating, guys. It really does help. I know it seems like everybody's asking for it, but it really does help in helping put us, like give us some visibility amongst all the other podcasts and iTunes. So the next episode, guys, will be next Tuesday, where I will be starting that new mini-series in the show that I will air every other Tuesday. That mini-series, we will take a deep dive into different founding documents, right? So that's what the mini-series is going to be about. It's, it's going to be every other Tuesday, and we will talk about who started it, why it was created, who wrote it, what its impacts are then, what, I'm sorry, what was its impact then, what its impacts are now, and what they intended its impacts to be, right? So next Tuesday will be the first one. And I think to understand where our nation came from, we need to understand it from the very beginning. So our first document that we're going to look at will be the Articles of Confederation, which for those of you who don't know, predate the Constitution. All right, I will see you all then. Thanks again for watching. My name is Jonathan Hewitt, and this was the Conservative Voice Show.